0: All right, good morning. Ephesians 6. Let's uh, go to verse 14. Ephesians 6 verse 14. As we continue in our series, the warrior. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14, and we're going to be looking at one phrase, one simple phrase here, but yet very complex at the same time, and it says stand therefore in verse 14 of Ephesians 6. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And here it is. Here's our topic for today. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What in the world did I, do I have to do to be good enough for you? Seriously. What do I have to do to be good enough for you? Isn't that the question that's come up in your relationships before? You may not say it like that. But honestly, when we think about God... There's always the question in the back of our minds that when we go down that road, that it seems like there's guilt and there's sadness and there's regret. I wish that I had not done that. There's always the question of what do I have to do to be in a right standing with God? And there's sometimes people have different reactions to that, don't they? You've got kind of the person who conforms to everything. This would be like the the quintessential overachiever, right? Any of you have those in your family? I, I mean, it seems like if someone says, I want you to get 100 to get the perfect score, they want to get 110. They want to do the best that they can and even more. I think the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, really exemplified this. Because in fact, the Apostle Paul was Saul, and he was A Pharisee, he had things memorized in the Bible that you could not believe. He knew so much. He ordered his whole life according to the dietary law and the Old Testament, according to the ceremonial law. He did everything on the outside that people would say, good job, Mr. Saul. And you know, some of you are like that. You've grown up in a house to where you, you've wanted to please your parents. You've wanted to please your teachers. You just wanted to do well. You didn't want to be a bench warmer, You wanted to start. You're just a type A driven person. And often when we come to the questions like Christianity and, and how do I get saved and how do I come into a right relationship with God? How do I know if God approves of me? If you're this type of person that you like to conform to things, you, you just like to do things right. You know? I, I, I mean, there, there, there are things that, that, that are ordered. It's just a very orderly type of person. Often, what can happen is if you're that type of person, if you apply that to God, you'll always be trying to live up and gain God's approval by your goodness. But in fact, that's totally contrary to the Gospel. You also have a person, they're just clueless, right? You ever been around anybody clueless? Okay? The, the, it's kind of like they don't know and, and, and they probably don't care. This would be like the Gentiles throughout the Bible. You see the word, what in the world is a Gentile? A Gentile is a non-ethnic Jew and virtually all the Gentiles, they had never really heard of God's word. They had not heard of the gospel. Um, they had not really heard of the law of God. They didn't really know what sin was except for in their conscience. And can we just be very honest this morning? It's very easy to rationalize away our own sin, isn't it? You ever heard this one? Well, I'm just as good as the next guy. What's the problem with that? No matter who the next guy is, he's still not perfect. And that's the only thing that will satisfy God. And so there's a person who's, you know, really trying to do, do, do to gain God's approval. And then there's people who just don't know and a lot of them don't care. Then there's the the person who, I mean, they're kind of like cavalier. They're like, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to go to church. I'm, I'm on the highway to hell, and I want to just go ahead and live it up. I don't give a care. Although they don't usually say care. They say, I don't give. Well, you know, they just don't care. The, 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 the life is like totally opposed to God. It's basically like this. It's kind of like um, little kids, like two-year-olds. Parents, you remember those days? All right. Terrible twos, terrific twos. You take a kid and somewhere within like that young mind, it kind of just clicks. It's kind of like the sin nature really gets locked in good. And they look up to their parent and in defiance, that little kid, they put their tongue on the top of the roof of their mouth and they get some air in their lungs and it sounds like this. No! You ever been there? And you see in that little mind, defiance, don't you? If you've ever worked in in the nursery, (laughs) you'll probably see that. And so it's like, sometimes lives are characterized by wanting to do as much as they can to get God's favor and to get God's righteousness that the Bible describes as a breastplate. And then some people don't really know, and then others don't even want God in their lives. And in all of the cases, it needs the grace of God to come. Now, you have, we're gonna look at five questions this morning. You have it there on your outline. First question that we're gonna look at in regard to righteousness these are questions that people have when we read something. Like, honestly, honestly, if we could have a show of hands, There will probably be be a majority of us here when we read the word righteousness. First of all, the question is, what in the world is righteousness? Why does it matter? Why do I need it? Right? it's kind of those type of words in the Bible that we often don't understand. But we're going to just dig into what does it mean, righteousness. And we're going to look at what is it not? What is it? Why do I need it? Can I lose it? And all sorts of questions in between. So, first of all, the question, we've got, we're have we going to define righteousness by negation. Alright? We're going to look at what righteousness is not that many people think that it is. First of all, what righteousness is not, if you can hold your place there in Ephesians chapter 6, flip over one book to the left in the book of Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 21. Galatians 3.21. This is the Apostle Paul writing as well. He's going to give us a little illustration of what righteousness is not. Galatians 3.21 says, Is the law, speaking of the Old Testament, contrary to... To the promises of God? Certainly not. For if, notice the conditional here, for if a law had been given that could give life. In other words, if there was a law that if you followed it and it would save you, if it could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the what. By the law. But, verse 22, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that, here's the purpose, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So, literally what the Bible is saying is that the Old Testament was not given so that we would try or that we could keep every single law. In fact, Romans chapter 3 says that the law was given so that all of our excuses would be destroyed and we would become guilty before God. You ever known someone, and they may have been into drugs, alcohol? You really want to help them, don't you? You say, you know what? My friend, family member, they really need help. I want to help. I will pay for this. I, money is not an object. I will help you. I want to help you kick this. But if the person is not ready to be helped, or more specifically, if they don't think they have a problem, can you really help them? No. Some of you have been down that road, haven't you? I want to help, but they won't let me help. It's the same thing. God in His righteousness desires to, and this is a small word for a huge concept, He desires to help us by way of changing us. But if we're always trying to do things if we're trying to do what Jesus already has done, and if we can ever do what Jesus did, then God's literally like, you know what? I've given my son to cause you to bring righteousness to you, but if you think that you can earn it on your own, then you don't see your need for Jesus. So this basically manifests itself in two ways. Um, some people, it's like this. They say, you know what, Jeff? I've got some bad things in my life, and I'm going to try to do better. You've heard that, haven't you? I've got to do better. I've got to do better. I've, gotta, um, I've got these bad habits, and I'm going to stop these bad habits. And we've gone over this so often on Sunday mornings. I've got to stop the bad stuff, and I'm going to start doing good stuff. This is simply behavior modification. And if the gospel is behavior modification, here's what's going to happen to you and I. If we do good, right? If we're able to kick this habit over here, all of a sudden we get proud, don't we? We're like, yep, yeah, guess who's doing good? This guy right here. I'm doing good. So who's doing good? I'm doing good. And the good is being done by me. So I'm good. I'm good. This is awesome. So what will happen, the tendency is then for us to become prideful and arrogant for stopping some of these outward things which really are manifestations of the heart, right? Who did Jesus really cock and lock and unleash full auto gospel fire on? Was it the party crowd called the, quote, sinners? Or was it the religious crowd who looked good on the outside, but in the inward parts, Jesus said there's so much wickedness, it's like a graveyard is in your heart. Wow. It was on the inward types of sins. So what can happen is that we can become very proud and then you know if you've ever experienced this you're trying to get right with God you're like God I'm trying to do better and stop these things I want to be I want to be right with you. I want you to approve of me. But then you mess up. You know what happens then if the gospel and righteousness is nothing more than behavior modification? You become depressed. Become hopeless. Say so you know what? I am no good. If we could back up back in, um, uh, what is it, verse number 11 there in Ephesians chapter 6, look at that with me. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of whom? the devil. Here's what will happen. If you think that the gospel, if you think that righteousness is an issue of your performance, what will happen is when you mess up, when you make mistakes, when you sin, you will begin to think that it's all dependent upon your good works, and because you haven't been working very good lately, therefore God has gone from this thumbs up Dual to dual thumbs down. And God is trying to do everything He can because you're not performing good to make your life literally a hell on earth. And if that goes long enough, people end up giving up, don't they? You know what? Why even go to church? Why even try? I've tried to stop this habit. Man, I've tried to start doing these good things, but it's just so hard. And so instead of just making myself miserable all the time, why don't I just go ahead and say, who gives a care? I'm going to go out and party hardy, right? Notice that behavior modification, if that's what righteousness is, then you will either on one hand be very prideful and arrogant because of your good behavior, or you'll be defeated and consistently thinking, I am a worthless piece of trash. There's a a verse that you might want to write down in regard to this. It's in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And Luke records this. Speaking of Jesus... Jesus, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So that's the behavior modification there. We're thinking that righteousness is like, okay, well, if I've done good, then there's obviously people who have not done good. So question, who is the standard there? Is the standard to God? Or is the standard of behavior modification not right righteousness. It's comparing to other people. And that's not what the Bible's speaking of at all. And it's so easy to stand set up as human standard of goodness, isn't it? I read a story one time about this little kid and he, he said that he was 12 foot tall or 6 foot tall rather. And, and what had happened is he, he was comparing himself by his own feet. He measured himself by his own feet. And he, that's how tall he thought that he was. And he's measuring himself, himself by the wrong standards. And the point of the Bible and righteousness is that God is the standard. He is the definition of righteousness. So often what happens here too, is if we think that salvation and righteousness is an issue of behavior, it's kind of like if you're gardening, you garden to grow food, and then you say, well, what is this? Well, this is my plot for weeds. Do you, any of y'all do that, gardeners, right? You got your weed plot? You know, just, just to make sure that everything is even and you don't, you don't get too extreme, Right? Like we talked about last week, sometimes when people get saved, their friends and family will be like, well, you know, don't be radical about it. You know, it's okay. it's okay if you've got some weeds, but as long as the weeds don't take over the garden. Well, the point of the gospel is that righteousness, what it isn't, it isn't us trying to produce righteousness On our own. So here's the question. Second question. What in the world is righteousness? Here's what it is. And it's there in your outline. Righteousness is being in a right relationship with God. Or conformity of the heart and life to God's law. John Piper says. The righteousness of God is His unwavering zeal for the exaltation of His glory. Meaning. That righteousness literally is me being right with God. Now we've already discovered. Can we get right with God? By us climbing the ladder of good works and modifying our behavior. Can we? No. You say, but Jeff, what if I stop doing these things over here? Right? What if I really start changing my life? What if I turn over a new leaf? Well, it's still the same leaf, isn't it? And if you flip a leaf twice, you're back where? Square one. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? Changing our lives a little bit here and there. And then it ended up, you know, a few months down the road, it comes back to the same old thing. The Bible, when it speaks of righteousness, it pictures it as a breastplate. What an awesome metaphor. And when you think about righteousness Forgiveness is the negative side. For for example, when you become a follower of Christ, when you repent, when you get saved for real, what happens is that God forgives all of the negativity in your life. He covers your sin. All of your sin and all of your individual sins, past, present, and future. This should get some of you excited this morning. He covers everything and forgives it totally and completely. Amen? But the positive side is that because of God's canceling our sin through Jesus, God now puts us in a right relationship with God. But here's the the focal point. Our relationship with God is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Not based upon your ability to change your life. Because here's how this will free you. If righteousness is an issue of God's total and complete gift, if He gave us the total package of the armor of God. And everything that we have here, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword, the belt, we're going to get sandals here, maybe rainbow sandals, I don't know, you know, something cool. But um, every piece, the shield, this is, these are all illustrations of who Jesus is. You see... So God's not like, you know, well, I'm going to give you a sword here, or a helmet over here. God is literally saying, in order for you to stand against the lies of Satan, when the evil day comes, you need righteousness. Amen? When the evil day comes, whatever that may be, when your life is literally falling apart, what you need is righteousness. It involves the pardon, J.I. Packer said, it involves the pardon and the removal of all sins, and I love this part, and the end of separation from God. That's the end. That's the end of being separated from God. Wow. The righteousness of Christ, listen, is all a work of God and it's presented as a free gift that we receive through faith. That's it. That's the Gospel. That's the gospel. But here's why the gospel is so difficult. The gospel is so difficult because we don't really like receiving stuff that we haven't worked for, or do we? Isn't there that thing that when somebody gives you something, there's something like they give you a really nice gift? Like, let's talk really nice, all right? Let's talk for the shoppers. We're talking really nice $500 gift card to Macy's. For the geeks, $500 gift card to Best Buy. For the rednecks, $1,000 gift certificate to Cabela's. Can I get an amen? Am Am I in Franklin County? Something that's just... Uh, totally out of the blue, absolutely undeserved. Isn't there, I mean, people give you stuff that's really nice. Isn't there that thing that kind of deep within your heart, you're like, oh, i got to do something, right? Well, uh, you, you didn't have to do that, right? That's what we say in the, in the South. Like, we don't really know what to say. Like, we don't know how to receive gifts. And other cultures, they're like, thank you. And they just receive it. We're like, oh, you don't, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't, you don't really have to do that. Well, they know. But we feel that we have to do something to receive a gift. Now between you and me and the fence, is that not insane? If a gift is earned, then it's not a what? A gift. And here's the thing. By our performance, I'm speaking personally. By my performance in the area of righteousness and holiness and perfection, if I got what my works and my goodness can achieve... Do you know what I would get? I would get the wrath of God. And that's not talking about the really hot sauce you use at the Mexican restaurant. Y'all okay? The wrath of God is something we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks in conjunction with the helmet of salvation. But in a sentence, what it is, is it's God's judgment against everything that goes against the nature of God that we all have done at one time or another. So what we get, we get first of all, positional righteousness. That means that we have been placed from the position of death into life. We have gone from being lost to being saved. We have gone from an enemy of God to a child of God. Isn't that good news, church? That's what Jesus does. Righteousness, to be in a right standing with God. Romans chapter 5, please note this down. This is huge. Romans chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says this For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That means that when Adam and Eve messed up, sin entered into the world. So by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. When Jesus lived, Perfect life provided the chance for us to be righteous. And verse 20 says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all through the grace of Christ. Now right here, let's pause for just a moment. Some of you were raised in homes to where you could never please your mom or your dad. This is especially powerful with fathers. You were raised in a home that it did not matter what you did. It was never good enough. Uh, A friend that I I played basketball with growing up, his dad actually coached one of our teams. Is a very angry type of guy, his dad. And and, and my friend is a very, very, very good um, basketball player. He played center, tall guy. And whenever Sean would mess up, his dad would go... You ever been to those games, right? Like kids games, you know, middle school? And parents just go totally psychotic. His dad would go... and it like, Because it like, there are some people you can watch at games, and they're funny to watch. You know what I'm talking about? My brother played ball, and a boy on his team was from a the Middle East, and and his mom, she would get really excited um, when it was a close game, and my brother's there shooting free throws, it's clutch, tied game, and she begins, you know, trying to encourage my brother, and I'm like, that doesn't really translate, you know, when your kid is on the team with the one shooting free throws, and that's probably, do y'all get that, that was totally, maybe, anyway, all right. Yeah, distracting. So there's some people, it's funny seeing them go crazy, but, but my, my friend's dad, it was like one of the parents, and he was, he was the head coach of the team. It was like almost like, this is, this is scary. It would just go crazy. And my friend would box out. He would get grab rebounds. He would, he would get you know garbage points, and he, he would take it right through the lane. He, he was one of the top scorers on the team. You know what his dad would do? He would make an incredible play. His dad would just do this. Arms crossed, stone-faced Clint Eastwood would never say one good thing about when my friend did well. But the second that he messed up, it was all over him like water and rice. Now here's, here's the application. Some of you were raised in that type of unbiblical, unsaved parenting. And when you hear that God is the Father, that He is the one who gives gifts. In the back of your mind, and this is getting a little bit deep here, but, but often in the back of your mind, what happens is you remember your father or your mother who only approved of you when you did good. And the only way that you could keep or earn the approval of your earthly parents was by good works. You think that that applies to God. But the Gospel, praise God, is the opposite of an impossible to please parent. The Gospel is the Father coming down out of heaven and totally allowing Himself to be subjected to hunger and thirst and pain and annoying people. Amen? And everything that we have to deal with, He had to work. He had to sweat. And doing that to save us from what we had done wrong. And then He turns around and says, this is My gift to you. Positional righteousness. He has placed us in the position of of one who is in a right relationship with Him. And there's also an area of of practical righteousness. If Christ has done that, like honestly, if Christ has done that for me, then what am I doing for Him? Not to gain His approval, but man, if Jesus has done that for me, um, there's a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20 and 21, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, get saved. Then, notice what it says in verse 21. For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That means that when God applies His righteousness to us, we are not benchwarmers. Have you ever had to do that on a team? Right? You know, you're you're sitting there and you get to play your one quarter just so that your team will legally be able to not get cast out of the league and you're there and you're and you're a bench warmer. You're like, I don't want to be a bench warmer, I want to be in the game. For all of us, we're ambassadors for Christ, not trying to let the world know that we are good people, but that Jesus is righteous. Third question. We know that righteousness is not. It's not an issue of us trying to gain God's approval by being good secondly righteousness what it is it's being in a right standing with God through the work of Jesus Christ that is received totally as a gift and third why do I need it I put this in your outline there are no blanks because this is so important I don't want anybody to miss this only righteous persons can be right with God and all persons will one day stand before God. We need the righteousness of God because there's going to be a day to where all of us stand before God and the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. I've never had somebody give me a filthy rag for Christmas. Have you? Maybe as a joke. But he'd be like, you know what? This is the product of all of my work and care for you. This is how much I love you. Here's a nasty rag. Is that the way it happens? We'd be insulted. And so is God when we say, you know what, God? I know that you gave your son to take my place in the cross. But what I've got to do, I've got to meet you halfway It never works like that. It's all through the grace of God. And so why would, once again, why would the Bible describe righteousness in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, as a breastplate? Now imagine if you're going into battle, you're there, your heart is pounding, you look across the field, and you see thousands of the enemy, and they're armed with steel. They're ready to kill. You've got all the rest of your soldiers, your compadres, your comrades, your pals, your fellow soldiers. But yet you smash through the lines even if you have a Roman rectangular shield. Even if you're able to get through the barrage of arrows with the tortoise formation. Even if you're facing Spartans in the Roman cohort, which that's the reason why the Romans overcame the Greeks. The phalanx which you saw in the movie 300, where it's shoulder to shoulder, shield over shield, spear on top of spear. So every space that you could fit man and man and man going back, you would have a spear over the top or underneath. So you basically had 16 feet of spears with every couple of feet, another spear doing a scissor type of formation. But the weakness of the phalanx was that it couldn't move very well. So what the Romans did when fighting the Greeks, the Roman cohort, a smaller, more mobile unit, was able to cut into the phalanx and then it all fell apart. But imagine if you were in any of those scenarios and you went into battle without a breastplate. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that every vital organ in your body, except for your brain, and for some people that doesn't get used very much. I'm talking about a group in Washington, D.C., but I'll move on. You're in serious danger if you don't have a breastplate. Now, how crazy would it be, let's put ourselves in a battle situation in Afghanistan, we know that the enemy is on the other side of the ridge, and you've got guys sitting around, they're strapped from head to toe, M4s, they've got M14s, somebody's got a .338 Lapua sniper rifle, the Barrett 50 caliber, I mean frag grenades, we've got howitzers ready to rumble, alright? And then I come in and say, well, you know what, we're not in battle yet. So I think I'm going to wait to put on my uh, flak jacket, my bulletproof vest, maybe after the first shot is fired because I don't want to carry it around. First of all, you're saying, Jeff, say no to drugs. Amen? That's crazy. Because you don't know when it's going to happen, right? If you're in war, there's something called ambush, isn't there? And the reason why the Bible explains righteousness as a breastplate is because it protects everything that's vital. When the evil day comes, and this is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6, that we may having done all to stand against the evil one. And then it also says at the end of verse 16, the shield of faith is able to extinguish all of the flaming darts, or the arrows of the evil one. Listen, the evil day will come. And Christ's righteousness in your life, having been received by faith, Listen, is the only thing that will allow any of us to stand. Because what the world will tell you, the world will tell you, well, what you need is, is good self esteem. You are a winner. Have it your way. You are an amazing person, and you can do anything. And you just hear the crowds go wild. Yeah, that's right. I'm a winner. I can do anything. Yes. And there's nothing that we cannot conquer in a united front. And the crowd's like, yes. But when the evil day comes, listen to me. Yourself will fail. There's a day in which even the strongest soldier who wins the greatest of battles, even the person who is a prisoner of war who has endured terrible torture, there's going to be a day to where human ability to withstand not difficulties, not sickness, not losing jobs, but the day that Satan targets you, I will take This person down now. You are in the scopes of the enemy. It does not matter, guys, what your max is on your bench press, okay? does not matter how much money you have. The only thing that will matter is Christ's righteousness in you. That's it. Because when the self comes to the end, when their human inability, and by the way, we cannot defeat Satan on our own church. It is humanly impossible to defeat a higher spiritual being such as Satan. He is powerful. He is real. My master's degree, I studied philosophy, all right? I think Satan is real. I think that it makes sense the evidence that we have in this world and with the Bible that Satan actually exists. He's not just a figment of some medieval scholar's imagination. And when the evil day comes and self finds it's unable to help us get through it, when self fails, the righteousness of Christ, when Satan has slammed against you time and time again, you may, in fact, here's a, a, a verse um, that we'll look at in here in just a moment. Um, in fact, it's, go ahead and if you want to note this, it Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. That means that when Satan may knock you down, even though it's within the control of God, you will rise up, but not because you are good, but because Jesus is righteous. Amen. Say, Jeff, how do I get this? Repentance and faith in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith in Jesus. That's it. Martin Luther, the the great reformer, he had a dream one time. You ever had had freaky dreams? Anybody? You know, sometimes it may happen after Taco Bell if you eat that late at night, but that that may be another story. And, and he had this dream, like this is actually a dream, and I believe that God can speak through. Uh, dreams, as long as that lines up with the Word of God. For example, if if you say that God gave me a dream that I'm supposed to steal, um, that wasn't a dream that God gave you. Okay, if God gave you a dream to where you say he he had someone who was lost and he told you in the dream, I want you to go witness to this person. Well, that's the same thing that he's been saying all through the Scriptures. Amen. Martin Luther had this dream, and, and Satan came to him in the dream. And had this long scroll that kind of spilled out and rolled across the floor. And it had this list of all of these sins. And and Luther looked at that, and it was like Luther's life all of the sins that he had ever committed. It was like printing off the database. And Satan began to say two words all sin, all sin. All sin. And just pointing to it. All sin. And Luther, it was like he said in, in this account that he began to be greatly afraid. And, and Satan was just accusing him. All sin. You know, like, all sin, pointing at that scroll. And then the words came into Luther's mind The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. In the dream, Satan vanished. And he fell to his knees in praise of God. When the evil day comes, which is the context of Ephesians chapter 6. When it, not if. When it comes, the only thing that will matter is the righteousness of Christ. And you say, Jeff, how do I get it? Receive Jesus and all that He is and He will help you to do those things that you can't do on your own. Finally, last question. Can I lose it once I get it? If the righteousness is that we're going to read this verbatim out of the outline. If the righteousness were ours, then we could lose it. But since it is Christ's righteousness, it cannot be lost because he does not lose anything. Let me read that one more time. Let this soak in. Can I lose Christ's righteousness? If the righteousness were ours, then we could lose it. But since it is Christ's righteousness, it cannot be lost because He does not lose anything. And today it's very simple. The righteousness of Christ, which is Jesus' perfect life, His perfect death, and His resurrection, everything that Jesus is to help us, to enable us to have a right relationship with God. Remember the question that we started off with? what well, in the world I have to do to be good enough for you? Maybe the spouse that has loved you unconditionally. Maybe the parent that has had very minimal conditional love. If that. In this world of evil, you have the God of the universe breaking through the cloud of nastiness and selfishness and saying, here is my gift. It is my righteousness. It is me. Receive me and I will cause you to be in a right relationship with God. And that's when, please hear me, that's when, only then, that's when the guilt falls off of your shoulders like water off the back of a duck. It is receiving by faith the righteousness, the perfection, and the holiness of Christ. And when you receive that, you will be able to when Satan targets you in the evil day to say, bring it on because God not only has my back, but He has everything protected, vital in my life.